Welcome to Memphis Metropolis on WYXR 91.7 FM. I'm your host, Emily Trenum. Memphis Metropolis is all about our city as an urban place, including its neighborhoods, buildings, pathways, and parks, as well as the people who shape it. Join us each week as community leaders and commentators talk with me about our shared built environment. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Memphis Metropolis and WYXR 91.7 FM. I'm Emily Trenum, the host. And this week, we're talking about the future redevelopment of Northside High School. And my guest is Rashawn Austin, another longtime colleague from Community Development World of Mine. And she's now CEO of the Works Incorporated, a, a leading community development corporation here in Memphis. So, Welcome, Rashawn. Thanks, Emily. Good morning. I'm glad we finally had an have I had an opportunity to get you on the show. Your work you you've been working on so many projects so over the past year. It's like I need to get Rashawn on to talk about. And so I'm glad I finally had the opportunity. So Rashawn, before we I know the Northside project is it's a lot of partners and you've you know actually created an entity to lead that. But before we talk about that, let's just tell me a little bit about the works. Of course, I'm very familiar with the works, um, but not, and people who, you know, read the coverage, read the news, um, probably know about it, but just, just, just tell us what the works does and um, what kind of work it does and how long it's been around and just the, you know, briefly a little a little capsule history of the Works Inc. Okay, so the Works Inc. was um, founded in 1998. It's a community development corporation, and initially, uh, when we were founded in '98, we were just working in a uh, two square mile area in the South Memphis area, um, and, and we were specifically founded to address affordable housing needs in that area. And so, our early work was in single family detached for home ownership. And pretty quickly into our history, we got into multifamily housing or apartments using a tool called the low in- or a financing tool called the low income housing tax credit. Uh, and it's for families. You're targeting families who are very, very low income. So they're 60 percent and below the area's median income. Uh, about 10 years in after doing things related to housing, both counseling uh, and even some foreclosure prevention work or loss mitigation. The, and, and one other thing I always like to mention, the works pretty early was into the mortgage brokerage business. So it was a mortgage brokerage in Mississippi and Tennessee, right before the housing crisis uh, of 2008. Around that same time, the works was turning 10 years old and decided that it needed to go through um, a planning process with neighbors to determine what the future of the organization was. And so it was a pretty comprehensive planning process called the South Memphis Revitalization Action Plan, or SOMIRAP. And some priorities grew out of that plan. And so it kind of changed the direction, not completely of the works, but it expanded its work beyond that neighborhood or those neighborhoods um, to doing more citywide work. And so the works uh, for 10 years did um, acted as the administrator of the minor home repair program on behalf of the city across the city. And it entered some other spaces outside of housing. 
and specifically around food, because that was one of the priorities or it became up several times in the priorities around food access and security. And so the work started a farmer's market, the South Memphis farmer's market, expanded that into a green grocer, did cooking education to address the health disparities and uh, needs in the South Memphis area. Yeah, for people and- that don't know, the South Memphis farmer's market is was really one of the first farmers markets that came came to be, you know, right at the beginning of the sort of farmers market boom. Of course, now there's a lot of them, and it's Thursdays. Um, Thursdays, and it in the season it may change because it, it's led by a committee of people made up of residents, the farmers, and some of our partners at the university and University of Memphis and other stakeholders uh, decide annually what time the market would start based on um, the users. And so usually it's around 8 a.m. because many of our users in the neighborhood are older and they like to get up early and get to the market and get it in their homes before midday. And does it start in May? Does it normally start up in May? It depends on the weather, but uh, late May, early June. Okay. uh, It's really great, great small farmer's market and has everything you can want, all local farmers and farm produce. And then also the, you know, the market, the food market next door is super cute and that's (laughs) open year round. And I noticed noticed that you just... I noticed that you just had a new mural painted on the side that illustrates all the different kinds. There was already a nice mural, but this mural specifically illustrates all the different kinds because people don't know you can buy milk there. You can buy toilet paper. You can, it's really a miniature grocery store. It is. It's a very small grocery store. It's about 2000 square feet and and we had shelf stable meat, dairy. And I think people just thought we were a farmer's market because of the other meal was just vegetables and fruit. Exactly. And so that was we're more than that. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. People don't always know, you know, I went to that, um, I went to that new South Point grocer um, yes. downtown last week for the first time. And, you know, it was great because I was expecting some kind of an upscale, you know, gourmet store, kind of like um, the one in Harbortown. And it's not, it's just a small grocery store. And I thought, this is great. There's the Jello and there's the, I mean, you yeah. can get up, upscale things, but really that neighborhood needed a store for everybody. And it, and so wasn't what I was expecting at all. So well, I thought that was great. <laughs> it's our partner, uh, the Castle Retail Group, they actually supply us. And so they operate cash saver stores. And so they're in that grocery business uh, at a low cost, typically, uh, in their other spaces. And and so they were able to bring some of that to their South Point store also. And it's about 9,000 square feet. So yeah. it's about four times the size of our store. It was great. It's great, though. So I, obviously, I dig- digress very early in, in our conversation. But but I know since the, you know, you mentioned you, you started working citywide with the minor home repair you just did a big, um, a big apartment renovation conversion in Fraser. We don't have time to talk about that today, really. Yeah. But you have definitely um, moved into some areas, and really, on some level, are more of a. Even though you still do a lot in South Memphis, you're more of a, a an organization that works throughout the city. 
Yeah, and we we're focused on you know west of the parkways, and so we have an expanded east in the city, and so I like to say we work in South Memphis, North Memphis areas, and in Fraser. And Fraser is project specific. Okay, so the so let's talk about North Side. So I've, of course I've driven by. Well, well, first of all, just before we, I have a couple questions. But where is Northside High exactly? Northside High is located in the Klondike neighborhood. So it's an historic African American neighborhood established around 1899 uh, along the Valentine. So it's just west of the Valentine Evergreen neighborhood, uh, and not it was just south of Chelsea and just north of the Crosstown Concourse or Speedway Terrace in the Crosstown neighborhoods. Okay. Well, you know, I've driven by there a million times, um, you know, on my way to see Miss Quincy Morris or other things. I've driven by there a million times. Of course, the library is there. I want to talk about the, a little more about the the campus in a minute, but um, I've driven by there a million times, but I never knew much about it. You know, I'm not from Memphis and, but you know, in Me- if you grew up in Memphis, you know, where you went to high school is huge. It and is. you hear about like, you know, Manassas and, um, you know, East and Central, the high school and people just have Melrose. There's so many high schools that people have, but I've never really heard about Northside in that same kind of way. And do you think it's because it was a technical school or what's the, what kind of school was um, it? Did you go there? I mean, you grew up in North Memphis. I did not attend Northside. Um, I would have been um, uh, tracked to Douglas, but it had closed by the time I went to high school because I was closer to that end. I was more too far east for Northside. But Northside was specifically established in the 60s for African-Americans. And it's a state of the art High school, it was at the time. You know, it had 1,800 seats, auditorium. It had a mechanic shop, uh, a shooting range or a gun range. Wow. Uh, a body shop. It did cosmetology. And so it was, uh, had a very big technical focus. So pretty, pretty early on into its um, history, integration happened. And so kids from the Fraser area uh, who were, uh, uh, supposed to go to West Side, they wanted some of the white kids from West Side to go to North Side, and a few did go. But integration happened, and we know how that blew up in Memphis and across the country. Um, even though North Side originally was established for African Americans, and so it was mostly African American grads throughout its history. So uh, did initially, when it was for African Americans, was it a school that people were zoned to, and everyone in that neighborhood went there? Um, and then later, yeah. after after integration, it became it, it became more of a technical high school and drew people from a, from all over the community. Is that I think it was established with its technical programs in the beginning. It's just that it when it was built and when integration happened was within a couple of years. So people from areas in Klondike, in Smoky City, uh, and some of the white kids probably came from the Smoky City neighborhood, not just Frazier and the area around Humes, which is Smoky City, and even probably some kids from the Valentine Evergreen neighborhood in Springdale. So other areas in North Memphis nearby Northside, they were uh, assigned to Northside also. And it was a big school with a couple thousand kids. Well, the, you know, of course, as Memphis has sprawled over the years, um, you know, the school population has also sprawled and a lot, we've lost a lot of schools. A lot of neighborhood schools have closed. 
and Northside was one of them. I think I was reading that it closed in 2016. That's correct. And it's been vacant since then. So what's the, how did you, how did you and the works get involved in, in leading up this redevelopment project? So we were doing work in, uh, in partnership with the Klondike Smoky City CDC outside of the school building. Uh, starting a few years ago, about three years ago, we partnered with them and we've been doing a minor home repair program and helping to build their capacity around even vacant buildings and rehabs. And we partnered with them to get 150 parcels from the through the county land bank. Uh, and so in, in our now our an entity that's under us, Neighborhood Preservation Inc., who we've merged with earlier this year, um, they were part of that partnership, too, in helping to build the capacity because it's just north of the Crosstown Concourse area. And we were in talks with partners who were involved in that deal. The works ended. I was resistant at first to get involved with Northside. I'm like, we're already in Frazier. We're already working in Klondike. And it's such a big project. It's such a big project. But one thing about uh, development deals, um, they're looking, usually investors are looking for it entities that have the experience to be able to accomplish uh, certain development projects. And so in this instance, we would be partnering with investors who invest in new markets tax credits. And so I, uh, our partner, our for-profit partner, Comcap Partners, was involved in, they talked to investment groups and they said, well, we have to have a certain entity type with certain experience and certain uh, financial capacity in order to partner in this new markets deal. And so, so the work they needed an experienced nonprofit partner. They needed I, an experienced nonprofit with tax credit experience. Okay. So I don't want to we I've talked about new market tax credits on the show before. I don't want to go digress too much, but just briefly in plain language um explain what the new market tax credits are designed to do. So, I mean, any tax credit program whether it's new markets or low income housing you have these for-profit investment groups who um, buy a tax credit at a certain rate from um, some type of partnership. To reduce their tax bill, essentially. Reduce their tax burden to the federal government. And so usually these programs come under the U.S. Department of Treasury as a result, which houses the IRS, so that they reduce their burden. They pay us 86 cents on a dollar. It, it, it changes. And we invest that equity into doing the development. So essentially a project is, as I understand it, a project is awarded the credits um, and it's over a period of time, like for 10 years or something, but you need the money right now because the project, you're spending the money right now. So you basically sell the credits to investors, as you said, for for not for, you know, obviously, you know, you don't sell them for one dollar for a dollar, but yeah. but the but the flip side is you get the money right now, and then the investors take the credits over a certain number of years. Over seven years, with the new markets tax credit, is a seven year period. So over seven years, they get one set one seventh, I guess, of their credit each year, and we're in compliance with whatever the rules are of the investors in the in the feds. Um, and then they sell, usually they sell that interest at the end of that seven year period 
that's on the new markets tax credits on the housing side is usually an, a 15 year period. Okay. All right. So en- enough technical details. People yeah. are just turning off the radio right yeah. now. <laughs> so they're, they're used to it. They, they've, they've listened to my show in the past. So, so you got brought in and, um, to the Northside project, you were already very involved in the neighborhood. So yes. what's, so what's planned for the, what's planned for Northside High? What's it, what's it going to be when it's finished? So it's a community hub and it's mixed use. And so we will bring back uh, some of its trade and technical history with uh, a partnership. One of our tenants will be a trade and technical school, uh, a public health clinic. So um, a pretty large and we can't name most of our uh, partners because we need letter of, letters of intent from them first. Um, and then there will be some small retail. So we are really encouraging small minority owned retail whether it's food business or um, other for-profit businesses, but some nonprofit partners. Uh, I like to talk about the Northside Hall of Fame because it will be right as you enter the building, you will see the Northside Hall of Fame. And there will be 42 units of affordable housing uh, located inside of Northside on its third floor. Well, I have some follow-up questions, but before I ask that, I want to let everybody know, if you're just joining us, you're listening to Memphis Metropolis on WYXR 91.7 FM at Crosstown. And we're talking to Rashawn Austin, and we're talking about the upcoming revitalization of Northside High in the Klondike Smoky City neighborhood. So it's it's housing units on the third floor and then technical training, um, sounds like some workforce development programs and some retail. That's a lot. Yeah. So people like to describe it as a mini crosstown. And I guess we can do that, except that our housing is affordable uh, for people who are 80 percent and below the median income. Well, the thing about Crosstown, which everyone loves to use as an example, is it's basically a hub in the sense it's a people go there, you know, to hang out, to eat, to consume arts. And so you envision it as as a similar, I mean, different, but a similar kind of magnet for the community that people will go to for a variety of activities. That's that's right. And the big difference is the affordable housing and the trade school. And so there's some training there. Um, and they will uh, be the tenant that takes over the basement, uh, which was used for trade and technical training. Well, I think that's one of the things that makes Crosstown successful is, I mean, the, the high school is there, but also the church health. So you've mm-hmm. got people there all the time. I mean, I go to Crosstown all the time. It's very close. And mm-hmm. it's, um, I mean, even on, you know, Sundays, I mean, there's just people there yeah, uh, there, it's, it it's quiet, but there's always, there's always somebody there and there's always, especially now that COVID is winding down, knock on wood. Um, and there's always something going on. There's always some kind of performance or people having coffee and it's, well, I forgot about the performance. I don't know how I forgot about an 1800 seat <laughs> auditorium. And so there will be a performing arts aspect. And then we have today, there are three gymnasiums. Uh, we will convert it to two gymnasiums that are regulation size. And so we'll have a recreation and sports program operated by a partner, um, a nonprofit partner. Okay. That's going to be amazing. So are you, is it, are you still going to call it Northside? We don't know. So we've been having community meetings uh, and at the most recent one last Thursday, uh, uh, people in the neighborhood and other stakeholders 
uh, get an opportunity to say what they want to see it called. Most of the names uh, have Northside in. I'd like to see it. I'd like to see it. Maybe yeah, the North Side Hub or something. That's one. That's one of my pet peeves. Is and I I mean I'm in you know been in the community development business that a lot of times your community developers and you know the real estate contingent stuff gets renamed and sometimes the names are very generic. Yeah, (laughs) I I like to see Northside because of its history and particularly because we'll have a Northside Hall of Fame. It was a school that was very important to the neighborhood. Uh, It's an anchor. And so uh, I like to see Northside in the name where it's not totally a democratic process, but uh, I I must say that I think Northside is I think the design firm had maybe 20 different names, but I think Northside is in each one of them. So what? who is going to be in the Hall of Fame? We didn't really talk about the the alums. I think one of the guys in 3-6 Mafia is, uh, went to Northside. Didn't I hear that? Maybe, yes. So uh, who- they're, they're, they're probably, there's some pretty famous alum. I think the we're not deciding who's in the Hall of Fame. And so there is a group of alumni from different classes. And we're trying to make sure that it's from whether it's the class of 68 or 72, all the way up to 2016, they get to decide who's in the Northside Hall of Fame. Because I once I attended East, so I can only talk about that. Well, but, I just didn't know if there were any big, big names. like Likely. Likely there. And not just in 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 performing and not in just in the performing arts, but they, I think the first uh, group I've heard because I don't take over that group. I don't even participate. We have another staff person, Quincy Jones, leading that uh, effort on our behalf. Uh, It's uh, the educators. And so the principals, um, I think will be the first group that that will be in the Hall of Fame. That makes sense. So, so how has the community, I mean, you've mentioned community meetings how has the community been involved in actually, you know, making decisions um, about, because obviously it's, a, you know, it's a, a an important community asset. And I know you want it, uh, you know, these kind of projects, they've got to pay for themselves, but at the same time, you want to reflect what the community wants and needs. So how has the community been involved and is there some kind of a governing or advisory group that meets regularly to provide you with guidance? How is that working? So it's a little broader than that. So there are several groups there. Of course, there's the Klondike Smoky City CDC. And a few years ago, they did uh, some work along with other neighbors uh, with Studio Gang. And so there were some things that came out of the Studio Gang report in regards to Northside. Uh, And later we've held community cafes uh, and community meetings monthly, at least. And we have a a site called Moving Klondike Forward. And so they told us what they were afraid of, what they saw the needs as. And and unfortunately, the neighborhood in terms of its population has shrank um, significantly. And so there are only about 600 households in Klondike. uh, And it has a lot of vacancy and blight. And so many of those are renters along the Watkins Corridor and Saints Court. And then there are about 150 or so homeowners. And so we've been very intentional about targeting those homeowners and those tenants, uh, many of whom are our tenants now, getting them there, providing them with incentives, because we really want to know. And for me, it's it gets personal community development. 
there sometimes outside voices, even if they went to Northside, but they've been gone for decades, they will be louder and they tend to dictate what happens in the neighborhood. And so it, it squashes the voices of the most vulnerable of the residents. And so we're making sure that their voices are louder. And so we're targeting them. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I do think those alumni voices can be loud and um, can overwhelm people who live across the street, who arguably have a much higher stake in, in how the project develops. Yeah, and, and part of our overall Klondike initiative, um, our tenant, our number one tenant is zero displacement. And so that means you, you're there already. And whether that's a business or residential rental or homeowner, we are really, it's very important that you have an opportunity to remain in the neighborhood at a cost that you can afford and have the amenities that you need in the neighborhood. And so not that we're excluding others, but they're usually the most voiceless. And so how can we make them amplify their voices? Uh, because they, they've lived across from this empty building or empty buildings throughout the neighborhood. Well, you mentioned Studio Gang. You know, Studio Gang, of course, is a, a you know a very prestigious global design firm who I think most people know from doing a lot of the design work for the... Um, you know, the revamped Tom Lee Park working mm-hmm. with the Memphis River Parks Partnership. And and um, they produced a very comprehensive plan and study for really for that whole campus. I don't know if people realize, but there's a library there. There's an elementary school. It's adjacent to the, there's a community center and a park. And it's really kind of everything you would want. Well, it's, it's <laughs> yeah. kind of everything. When you think about we're sort of recreating this at Liberty Park, um, not not recreating, kind of creating that at Liberty Park on the old fairgrounds, which is a, a fantastic project. I'm not at all being critical, but you've already got all that right there. But this this there were rec- there were recommendations um, in this plan for all of these. Um, not just Northside High, there were recommendations, redevelopment ideas and plans for the whole campus. So, and I, we already talked about how Northside High is a huge project in and of itself, but how do you see that that sort of master plan for the whole campus playing out over time? Do you think it's realistic to think that that whole area could be revamped? Yeah, so we, we're, we've been in conversations with the city of Memphis, which owns the, the balance outside of the elementary school of the assets. And we've been in conversations with Shelby County Schools about even acquiring uh, the old Klondike Elementary building, which is now housing Perea Elementary, because they're our partner in this also. Uh, and we want to wrap them in as a part of the north side uh, deal so that we can do redevelopment on the school, upgrades to the school that are needed. We don't want to displace Korea at all. So it will remain. Um, and so we actually have a meeting with the mayor today uh, about our work in Klondike overall, but specifically about the Northside project. Uh, so we've been in touch with library services and um, and um, parks and neighborhoods around the community center and pool. Well, is the is is this project part of uh, Mayor Strickland's Accelerate Memphis um project list for want of a better word? The Northside project specifically is uh, shown as an anchor in uh, the Accelerate projects. And there are a couple of uh, projects 
uh, within the accelerate budget in Klondike beyond Northside. So at, uh, at the corner of Watkins and Jackson, uh, and it doesn't specifically lay out a lot of work around Northside, but today's conversation, we will talk more about how we work in concert and really leverage the dollars that are available from the private source uh, and the dollars available from the public sources. Well, it sounds like, um, well, one thing about the campus, I did want to talk about the funding for a minute, but one thing about the campus is, you know, looking at the maps, um, it's just really adjacent to the to the future Shelby, um, the, the Chelsea Green Line, which is, so there's just really great connectivity in terms of, uh, and that's going to run all the way downtown to that new stuff district, and it's just all kinds of connectivity for that campus um, once some of these things get built out. Yeah, it's right next to Lick Creek. And so, you know, we're talking to the architects about that being a natural reserve because at that northern end of the neighborhood behind Claybrook, it really is not a great place for residential, although some has been built over time because it floods. And uh, we're thinking about how we bring back natural grass, uh, grasses and nature. We need to bring nature back and really open Lick Creek along that trail. Uh, it'd be perfect uh, in terms of helping with property values in the neighborhood. For um, sure. I would love to see that because that's a, I guess like a lot of neighbor Memphis neighborhoods, it's kind of gritty and it would be, even though the CEC has done some beautification projects, it would be nice to get some greening going there. Um, so I know that you got a, um, you know, you got a, a local incentive called a pilot, um, Recently, you were awarded that. And also, we've talked about the new market tax credit program. So without getting, you know, nerding out too much on the money, are you still, are you still, it's most of the money in place to do, you know, you, I don't know if you're going to use affordable housing tax credits, most of the money in place to do the project, do you think, or are you, are there still big gaps? There's, there's a, well, I guess most of the money is in place. So there is still a gap and I'll say small gap, but it's in the millions. And so we have about 40 million in, in, in sponsors equity that will come through the works uh, that we're bringing. We're estimating about 9 million in new markets, tax credits, equity, and about 15 million in conventional debt. And so there will be debt on the project. Uh, and we were awarded recently a $2 million um, grant for the affordable housing piece. Uh, so that will help us work on it will not be the total amount needed for the development, but about two million. Um, so more than half of the affordable housing is funded through the affordable housing trust fund. Uh, and we're in conversations with the city and both the county about how we pay for some additional infrastructure, because there still is about a 10 million dollar gap or more, depending on the cost of a garage because of the parking issues that will arise uh, because we're doing a mixed-use building. Right. Okay. So what's the, what is the, um, have you had any kind of an official sort of groundbreaking? Uh, what's the timeline? And then is it going to be, is the housing going to come first? Are you kind of going to do all of this on parallel tracks? How How's the timing sort of um, working? So we have our architectural plans. We have, actually have the construction plans out in the general contractor is um, bidding out the jobs to the subs right now. We've already done all of the environmental and remediation work, so the removal of the asbestos. Um, 
from the building because, of course, in the 60s, we were still using asbestos tile. We didn't really care about the environment in that way or people. Uh, <laughs> and so that's done. We're expecting construction to begin about June. And so we're making this a little more complicated. We'll start construction using our owner's equity and we'll do a closing with our new markets tax credit investors later this year. And so people will start to see movement in June. We have not had an official ribbon cutting. We will have a community event, event I'm sorry, on May 21st. Um, again, targeting the people who live there is more of a festival. Um, we are inviting everybody, the alum, anyone who wants to come in, but we really, really do big efforts around getting, even if we have to drive them from one street to the next, if they have mobility issues, uh, we'll get them out on the north side site. Um, and after that, we'll have some kind of formal ribbon cutting, not ribbon cutting, I'm groundbreaking. Uh, we, our ribbon cutting will be 18 months from the start of construction, uh, hopefully, <laughs> 18 to 20 months. And you, we haven't run into a lot of problems. I mean, it's, it's a building that's being rehabbed, so it won't be a weather issue. And so around June, early summer, we will be having a groundbreaking uh, to start the project officially. Okay. Well, this is really an amazing project, and I'm so excited to see it, it happening. So anything else before I let you go that we haven't talked about that's important about the project that I didn't ask you about? No, I think I think we covered it. And, you know, I just always stress the importance of community input. Uh, and the neighbors telling us what they need and want in their neighborhood versus us telling them what they need. Uh, and so they played a role and they continue to play a role, whether it's the naming, what what's located inside of the building, what the building looks like, you know, on the outside. Uh, we are bringing uh, the hill in front of Northside down to grade. And so you'll be able to enter on that first floor right now. You have to walk upstairs which doesn't speak to most of the residents in the neighborhood today because they're seniors who may have mobility issues. And so they'll be able to walk in and there's a plaza out front. Um, so it'll be a gathering space outside of the building as well as inside. Okay. Well, that's super exciting. I can't wait to, I can't wait to see it when it's done. Me neither. <laughs> I <laughs> bet. Project in the next 15 or so years with this debt. Right. So you've been listening to Memphis Metropolis and WYXR 91.7 FM. I've been talking to Rashawn Austin, CEO of the Work CDC. We've been talking about the redevelopment of Northside High in the Klondike Smoky City neighborhood on Valentine and a super exciting project that the neighborhood really needs. And so thank you so much, Rashawn, for coming on and telling you're listening to Memphis Metropolis on WYXR 91.7 FM. Have you checked out any of WYXR's other shows? You can see the whole program guide on our website at wyxr.org. And while you're there, please consider making a donation. We're a brand new station lifting up everything Memphis, and we need your support. But don't go away. Stay tuned for the rest of the show. Hi, everybody. Welcome to part two of Memphis Metropolis. You're listening to WYXR 91.7 FM. 
And I am welcoming back Cole Bradley, one of our regular commentators, and I like to say our our in-house anthropologist. I just makes me feel important to think that we have an in-house anthropologist. And uh, so, Cole, welcome back to the show. Thank you. Good to be back. Good to be back. And today you have uh, not just one, but two anthropologists. Uh, Rashawn is also an anthropologist by, you know what? by training. You know what? You're making an excellent point. Um, so, yeah. So this is part two of a show about, really about the revitalization of Northside High in the Klondike Smoky City neighborhood. And on the first half of the show, the guest was Rashawn Austin, who's executive director of the works. And you're right. I had forgotten, you know, a lot of anthropologists, a lot of people, the people might not know, but the, the University of Memphis here has a really great um, urban anthropology program, which is really, you know, applied anthropology um, focused on cities and urban areas. And a, and a lot because of that focus, a lot of people that came out of that program have, you know, gone into careers and community development because they had an opportunity to do, you know, internships and, and study the city um, and yep. so, so you, and then Rashawn, and that's actually a very tight knit, uh, a very tight knit group of folks, at least from a particular era who went through that graduate program together and, and really stayed friends that have been, I think Amy Schaffelein from United Housing may be a graduate of that program. That's correct. I mean, anthropologists in Memphis, because it is an applied program. So, you know, your goal was never to go be a PhD. I mean, I'm sure a handful of folks who have graduated that program have, but that wasn't the point. The point was to work to make, to affect real change in the city. And so, I mean, off the top of my head, St. Jude Alsac, uh, Memphis Till, uh, down in South Memphis near the works, you've got uh, the Greenleaf Learning Farm, head farmer there, also an anthropologist. Uh, Theo Davies is great. And so, you know, they're, they're, we're just all over the place. You're really. everywhere. You're, you, can't, you're, you can't take us anywhere, but we're everywhere. Okay. Well, that's good. I think that's going to come in handy today because I've got some questions about the people side of this project. So before we start recording, I think you and I were just we're having a little love letter to the works. Um, you know, the works was a great organization. Kathy Cowan, who's now leading up the new Memphis office of LISC was on the show a couple weeks ago and she's was the founding executive director of the works. And of course she built a bunch of housing and she did a big apartment complex and, you know, renovated a lovely historic building in South Memphis, which is their office now. So she laid an unbelievable foundation and but Rashawn has really uh, taken it to new levels and particular has continued the commitment to to implementing the community led plan for South Memphis, but also has taken the work into some other neighborhoods. Yeah, it's been it's been really cool to watch. So, uh, you know, speaking again of anthropology, so the anthropology department was involved in some of that. I believe uh, Rashan mentioned it, the SOMI RAP, the South Memphis Revitalization Action Plan. So uh, the anthropology department was involved in some of that. And even I, as a little baby undergraduate, would go to the South Memphis Farmers Market, which at the time was kind of the newest thing that the works had done at that point. And did some surveys and stuff as you know, far, part of figuring out what the next step was for the works and for the market and et cetera. And so it's been really cool to watch over the years, you know, not just 
Roshan is a powerhouse of a human. I mean, just a powerhouse of a human, right? But the organization really grow and move into these other areas of the city and into other areas of development. I also, you know, you and I have talked previously at length. Um, I just think that their their model that they use for their single family home ownership program is just fundamentally better than traditional models uh, for things like credit, establishing what it what it means to be. Um, a reliable borrower, right? And so, yeah, and what it means to be a worthy neighborhood to lend in, all of those things. They're just changing the rules and changing them for the better. And so it's great to see them into multifamily housing uh, as well. Definitely, definitely. So let's talk a little bit about the Northside Project. I have, a, I have some random thoughts about that. Um, just to kind of remind people, this is a you know, a high school that was built in 1968 as really as a black high school, uh, but not that long after it was built, um, you know, integration came in and people were bussed and it transitioned to, you know, a high school serving the neighborhood with a big emphasis on technical programs. But it was closed in 2016 for a lot of schools in Memphis have closed uh, because people have continued to move farther and farther out and leaving schools really under capacity. Um, and that's been a, 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 you know, a challenge for surrounding neighborhoods. First of all, people are losing their neighborhood schools, but second of all, they're big buildings that are just vacant. And, but now you start, you're really starting to see, um, you know, Melrose high after years of being neglected, um, is being redeveloped, not unlike the Northside Project. It's going to have some senior housing. It's going to have a library branch. It's going to have some community spaces. And it's really exciting to see that and then to see the Northside Project happening as well. Absolutely. And also the mixed use. Uh, you know, I the local retail, minority-owned, locally-owned retail returning to that neighborhood in uh, not just on Jackson and not just on Chelsea, you know, but back into the heart of the neighborhood is uh, I'm just really looking forward to that. As you know, I don't live too far from there. Like this is an opportunity for many Memphians to create or to create a destination location for Memphians, but also again, just to serve that neighborhood with vital essentials as well as fun amenities, just the things that everybody wants and the things that everybody needs in their neighborhood. And I absolutely love the deep community engagement that's going into this. So community engagement at every level to establish what does, uh, what is and is not desirable in that building. So important here. And I think they're really doing it right. I agree with that. It's interesting that you know, over the past couple of years, um, you know, as I, of course, I haven't been out in the neighborhoods as much as I would like over the last couple of years for obvious reasons. But over, you know, over the last few years, you know, in conversations with people about, you know, repurposing these big buildings and their neighborhoods, you know, every people, you know, continually refer to Crosstown. And wouldn't it be great if to do something like Crosstown here? And I guess I have a question for you, Beth, and I realize you are not a real estate expert by any means, uh, and nor am I, but I mean, Crosstown, Crosstown was successful, and 
Crosstown was not successful just because a lot of money was thrown at it. I mean, a lot of money was thrown at it, but that's not, you can, you can invest a lot of money in things and it doesn't work out. It's a concept, it's management, it's money, it's, you know, the, the actual uses. And, and I think the Northside project is a great idea, but, but is it realistic to sort of think you can sort of replicate that, especially for something that's that's where you're going to really try to serve the surrounding neighborhood and not draw from the whole community? And I'm not, I'm totally for this project and think it will succeed. So don't think yes. I'm not, I'm questioning it because I'm not, but I'm sort of just thinking people in Orange Mountain saying, oh, wouldn't it be great if we could have, do a cross town here? And that's just, um, I, I'm not surprised everybody wants that. Yeah, I mean it's highly desirable, right? Everybody wants a really cool amenity in their neighborhood and Crosstown has anchor institutions that are necessary and needed. It has fun stuff that you'll want to do, good food which is mandatory in the south, right? You always got to have good food or people aren't coming. That's just how we operate here. Right. And so yeah, of course, but I think one advantage to Northside is it's a smaller space. So Crosstown is physically massive and the way that crosstown is laid out you know um it's vertical it's vertical and so i feel like the flow through the building will encourage usage um i think that you know the community itself so as, as far as being an asset for the community itself it will definitely be unique and you know a lot of transport, a lot of people in those communities surrounding Northside uh, have transportation limitations. And so having it in the building or, you know, the issue isn't that people don't want these things and wouldn't support them. It's that they can't get to them in a lot of cases. Yeah. So I think it has that going for it. It's dead smack in the middle of a ton of res- residential that is within walking distance. And so, you know, I think that the location I think the size of the project, and I think having, again, that mix of anchor institutions, of retail and desirable, we'll say desirable entities, um, and community uses, all of those things together, I think that uh, it bodes well for being being like a Crosstown, but North Memphis's version of Crosstown, right? It's got to be authentic to North Memphis, and to those specific communities within North Memphis that surround that school. You're right. And as big as this building is, I think it's, she said it was 270,000 square feet, which is huge. But that's, I think, the quarter of the size of Crosstown. Exactly. Crosstown was a monstrous undertaking in a very literal sense, as well as metaphorical. And and also, again, like the layout of Cross. Don't get me wrong. I love Crosstown. I think it's a beautiful space. And what they did with it is really remarkable after seeing it sit vacant for so many years. But but I think that it's not really conducive to an easy, a building that's easy to flow through. Yeah, I agree with that. And I I, I think you're right. I think it's, um, it will be different because it's really designed to serve the immediate neighborhood. Obviously, it'll attract people who come to see art shows or for job training, it'll attract it'll attract people from from other neighborhoods. But it's really designed to serve the neighborhood. Sort of as as, as an aside, um, one thing Rashawn said that I thought you'd be you would find amusing as I did. I never really thought about it was balancing out the very loud voices of the alumni, and 
Um, because of course, in these high schools, the alumni are, they have reunions and they, they want their opinions heard. And that's certainly the case in Melrose and a lot of these schools, Manassas, and, and just needing to say like, your opinions are important, but you live in Cordova now. <laughs> we need to hear from the people that live across the street. Yeah. You know, and I think that the, the, um, Northside Hall of Fame is such a great way to ensure that those alumni do have a voice in at least one piece, although I'm sure that they'll have a voice in more rather, but rather they have one piece that is more theirs. There's some ownership there. There's more involvement there. And so, you know, it is important. Those people that are actually there on the day to day using the asset, I agree with you in my mind, get a bit more of a say, right? We're not, it is important to respect and honor the past and to commemorate the past, but we have to live in the present. And so that's why I just love this hall of fame idea. I do too. Well, and I think it's, I think you and I know from experience that the loudest voices are not the most important, but I never thought of the alumni in that <laughs> context. And of course they are. Um, Cause they're so, they're so, that's such big boosters of, um, and in fact, you could certainly argue in the case of Melrose, the building would have been torn down a long time ago if it weren't for alumni who just would not let it happen. Absolutely. You know, and they, they do get stuff done. They're a, an important asset, but it's about balance, right? Everybody needs a say, and we have to think about who are the people most directly affected. That's, that's really the goal of all true, uh, we'll say, good community work, good community engagement. You have to center the people who are most affected. And in that case, in this case, it's the residents that live closest to the, to the building. I agree. So along those lines, I want to ask you also about a topic that I feel like we discuss, um, we've discussed pretty often on the show and just over the course of our relationship. And that is gentrification. And these kind of projects and I have to say, uh, and you know, and of course, I'm not only a person of privilege, I live in a nice neighborhood, but these kind of conversations sometimes frustrate me because there are, when plans of this kind are announced, there are not just concerns about gentrification, pushback about gentrification, even if the leaders of the project are from the neighborhood. And I don't understand that. I, I mean, I, I understand the concern about gentrification for sure, um, but I don't know. Can you talk? Can you talk me down? I mean, yeah, I think the concern is is a real concern because people see it happen all day, every day, right? We've seen it happen over and over again, where you know some and a neighborhood that is underinvested that is and I hate that we use these couched terms a neighborhood that has been intentionally disinvested intentionally pilfered for decades suddenly becomes interesting or cool or hip because it doesn't have all of these things or whatever slowly development starts trickling in and then it booms all of a sudden it's just gone for right and so that's what we see on the surface level but gentrification, like I'm with you that I hate when people argue right off the bat that X amenity equals gentrification because all people deserve those amenities. 
all people deserve affordable housing and retail nearby and community assets. And I think that the key is to ensure that those people who are currently present can continue to be present and to use those assets. And I think that uh, Rashan, the works and all of their partners uh, on this project are being very intentional. That is the goal to ensure that those neighbors can stay in place and continue to enjoy it. But well, gentrification is not hard at its baseline. It's just a matter of not pricing out the people who are already there. It doesn't mean they don't deserve the things. Well, no, of course. And I think, you know, this is a perfect project. I mean, I think Quincy Morris, who's the executive director of Klondike Smoky City, CDC, is the board chair of the entity yes. that I feel like this has lots of, lots of, but I mean, but I, and I realize this is just one or two people, but I saw some, you know, chatter online about it. You know, those apartments aren't going to be affordable. This is just gentrification. And I, and I, and, and that was just like, no, I don't think, I, I mean, there might be price appreci- appreciation, yeah. but but give. I feel like when it's really coming from the community, we can talk all day long about uptown and and you know. I'm not saying we don't have gentrification in Memphis, and some of it isn't real estate developers who might be well-meaning helicoptering in, but I am not seeing that here. And I just right. want to tell people, just let's give it a chance. You're not seeing it, but you're also an expert, and you know the players, right? And so I would say. The reason that it's this, what might seem in this case to be a knee-jerk reaction is in part because we know these people, this effort that's gone into it. You you just listened or talked with Rashan and had this whole explanation of all of the efforts they're putting in, right? But most people, you got to dig for that or you have to educate yourself on those things and it's hard to do. And so instead, what they what people rely on is their past experience. And in many, many cases, housing that gets built that it, you know it gets built on the guise of affordable housing when it actually turns out in the end it's like oh well it's maybe a small percentage but not all of it not most of it you know and so it's, no you're right uh, people you know, are, people see change coming and they're anxious, and they're anxious about it which i completely get yeah. um especially and- with the current market you know i mean there is gentrification i well it's Let's say the groundwork for gentrification is being laid in every single neighborhood in Memphis yeah. with what's going on with the properties, the the residential property as well as commercial property. That's the basis of gentrification, and it is not unique to, Mem- to North Memphis, but it is happening there. So the residents are rightfully fearful of being priced out of the neighborhood. It's happening everywhere. You know? Yeah, I, uh, I agree. I mean, I feel like Klondike Smoky City has the opportunity to redevelop in a different way. And one of the reasons is that the CDC acquired like 150 yes. vacant lots from the county yes. a couple of years ago. So that community now controls a lot of that vacant property. Yeah. So, and I mean, that's going to be critical going time forward. Time will tell. But you're right. I mean, I'm laser focused and know the players. And so you know the ins and outs. But for the layperson, like, you know, even myself, it's sometimes difficult to know when you just read a news article about that lists off all of these players in this development, who they are and what their motives are. No, you're right. Of course. So if you're just joining us, you're listening to WYXR 91.7 FM, and I'm talking to Cole Bradley, one of our regular commentators, and we're sort of riffing on the proposed redevelopment of Northside High in the Klondike Smoky City neighborhood. So, Cole, the last thing I wanted to touch on is just uh, is that um, that I really I looked at some 
some plans that were drawn up by a very prestigious, you know, design firm. And it's really a plan for, and Rashawn and I talked about this briefly, but it's really a plan for that whole campus. And I never really, of course, I've driven, I drive by there all the time, as I'm sure you do too, because I drive by there on my way downtown sometimes. And I never, you know, really realized that all of those assets are clumped. I don't want to say clumped together, are cited together. Yeah, they you know, are. Katie, Katie Sexton Community Center, the library, the high school, the park. I didn't realize there was a pool there. And so the opportunity to sort of knit that all together into a community and education campus is just really powerful. It's exciting stuff. It's also going to be hard work and expensive. So it'll be interesting to see how it develops. And if anybody can make it happen, it's, you know, it's Rashun and the partners that uh, she and the works have been working with consistently for a number of years now on a number of those other projects like Frasier, et cetera, that, um, that she mentioned. Like, I think that if uh, I would put my money on her any day. Well, for sure. And I, I realize additional resources are going to be necessary, but I feel like the timing is great. The city is putting money into libraries and community centers. Also, and you know, there's there are some sort of inexpensive things you can do. You can take down fences and you can put in wayfinding. There's inexpensive things you can do to, to create more of a campus feel um, that don't necessarily require millions of dollars. So right. I, I haven't done a deep dive into the campus, but I thought this is, I mean, that's one of the things I did a show on Liberty Park you know, several months ago, and that they're intentionally, that's their heart, that's harder. They're trying to, they have the croc, and they've got this new facility, and they've got the Children's Museum, and they're, there's, they're very sort of siloed, and, and they need to really spend money into trying to knit those together in a campus, and I feel like this is already in place in North Memphis, and just there's all kinds of opportunity for cross-flow, cross-collaboration, yeah. you know, you know, festivals, neighborhood festivals that pull from all of those right. audiences and um, people that are served. When the opportunity for some of those things that do already exist to thrive in that that newly designed and reimagined uh, sort of well-knitted campus, right? Because there, some of those assets that you mentioned, the community center, et cetera, are well utilized already. And they do have community events like the foster care parade. You mentioned Quincy. Quincy Morris uh, is doing or is involved in that. And 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 I should say the CDC, not just Quincy. Um, but the foster care parade that happens there. I mean, there are events. This is still a vibrant community. This is an asset that could really... Uh, just contribute and enhance and build that, continue to build that. And I think really just um, ensuring that the people who are there can still be a part of that 10 years from now, 20 years from now. I agree. Well, that's a great note to end on, Cole. So thank you for joining Memphis Metropolis. I've been talking to Cole Bradley. He lives in 91.7 FM at Crosstown, coincidentally. <laughs> Thanks for having me, Emily. This is great. Okay. You've been listening to Memphis Metropolis on WYXR 91.7 FM. I'm Emily Trenum. Memphis Metropolis airs every Monday at 1, so please tune in again next week. You can listen to past programs on our program page at wyxr.org 
or on memphismetropolis.com. You can also follow us and send feedback on social media. Now, stay tuned for Memphis Undercover with Nancy.